Would you turn your Bible to two passages of Scripture? One is in Psalm, the ninth chapter, and the other in Luke chapter 16. I want to speak briefly tonight on the subject, is hell real? I think if there could burn in our hearts the reality of hell, surely we would have mercy on people that need God, and we'd go in the highways and hedges and compel them to come in. In Psalm 9, listen to this, beginning in verse 7, But the Lord shall endure forever. He hath prepared his throne for judgment. He shall judge the world in righteousness. He shall minister judgment to the people in uprightness. The Lord also will be a refuge for the oppressed, a refuge in time of trouble. They that know thy name will put their trust in thee, for thou, Lord, hast not forsaken them that seek thee. Sing praises to the Lord which dwelleth in Zion. Declare among the people his doings. When he maketh inquisition for blood, he remembereth them. He forgetteth not the cry of the humble. Have mercy upon me, O Lord. Consider my trouble, which I suffer of them that hate me. Thou that liftest me up from the gates of death, that I may show forth all thy praises in the gates of thy daughter of Zion. I will rejoice in thy salvation. The heathen are sunk down in the pit that they made. In the net which they hid is their own foot taken. The Lord is known by the judgment which he executeth. The wicked is snared in the work of his own hands. Higion, Selah. The wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. And then in Luke chapter 16, beginning in verse 19, a classic famous chapter. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. There was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. It came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried, and in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things. Likewise, Lazarus, evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from hence. Then he said, I pray thee, therefore, Father Abraham, that thou would send him to my father's house, for I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they come to this awful place of torment. Abraham said unto him, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said, 
If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Now we can see immediately this is a story from the Old Testament period. It's just as valid in the New Testament period because Jesus put his stamp of approval on that story by telling it and illustrating the awfulness and the reality and the terror of hell. Hell is certain, just as certain as heaven. The promises of God, the reality of pain, the certainty that your sin will find you out. Hell is a place of punishment for those who reject salvation. Jesus called it the lake of fire, the abode of the damned. He who came to seek and to warned of punishment for the wicked in these words, everlasting fire, weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth, where their worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. All we know about heaven is what Jesus taught us. People can imagine certain things and in the figment of their imagination they can talk about all the things of heaven. But if we'll be realistic, all we know about heaven is what the Bible says. They're streets of gold. Place of many mansions. The walls are of beautiful stones. Jesus himself is the light of that city. There'll be no more sorrow. There'll be no more tears. There'll be no more weeping. There'll be no more sickness. There'll be no more death. There'll be no cemeteries and graves on the hillsides of glory. How do you know that? Because Jesus said it. Not one of us has been there and come back to tell you, but Jesus did. Now by the same token, Jesus spoke more about hell than he did heaven. Over and over and over again, he warned of the reality of hell. There are three words that describe hell, Hades, Tartarus, Gehenna. Hades is the temporary abode of the dead in the Old Testament before the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus, and the temporary abode of the wicked dead after Christ's resurrection under the judgment of the great white throne. Tartarus, according to 2 Peter 2.4, is the abode of the fallen angels, their temporary prison until the great white throne judgment. Gehenna is the final abode of the wicked, the lake of fire. Twelve times mentioned in the New Testament, Jesus said it eleven of those twelve times, James said the other time. Why would the Lord say this? I've heard people say, well, I believe in heaven, but I don't believe in hell. The cults do not believe in hell. The Jehovah's Witnesses, the Mormons, they don't believe in hell. They believe that ultimately everybody will be okay. But Jesus didn't believe that. If he had believed that, he would have told us. He said, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. In hell, there is a terrible burning fire and people are outside the pale of faith and the pale of the love of God, and they can no longer have a chance to repent. How do we know? Because Jesus said so. And I want to tell you tonight, hell is a real place. The dying statements of the lost testify the reality of hell. In Infidel in New York, age 74, I am in the flames. 
pour me out. And he died. A preacher witnessed a dying man who had spent his life scoffing Christ. He said, I can see the devil here on the bed with me. He's taking everything away from me that you read. It's too late. It's too late. A dying girl in Georgia. She had lived for the God of pleasure and thrills. She called out to her father, Your heart is as black as hell. If you had taught me to live for God, I might have been saved. Oh, the devil is coming to drag my soul down to hell. I am lost, lost forever. Voltaire, the French atheist who helped agitate the French Revolution, said shortly before he died, Everything is lost. I am forsaken by all. I am lost. I will go to hell. It is a fearful thing to fall in the hands of a living, angry God. In John 3.18, he that believeth not is condemned already. You're not going to be condemned. You're already condemned. You're here tonight. You're outside of Christ. You may be a church member. You may think you're on your way to heaven, but if there's never been real repentance in your heart and a turning from sin to, to Christ, then you're on your way to hell. Do not be deceived into thinking that church membership or singing the songs of Zion or coming regularly or being born into a good godly family, that that's enough. That won't save you. When you get before the throne of God, you'll have to give witness about the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses from all sin. And you can't say it glibly when you get there and the angel of God says, why shall I let you into heaven? You dance around and say, ha ha, I believed in Jesus. That's not going to get you into heaven. That's going to get you into hell. You see, hell and heaven are real. And you don't enter heaven glibly and on your own merit and say, well, look at all the good things I've done. I went to church and I did this and that and the other. Those will rise up at the judgment bar of God to condemn you because you did not heed the word of God. John 3.36, He that believeth not the Son hath not life, and the wrath or anger of God abides on him. Now you think of that a minute. The people you go to visit about Jesus and they're not saved, God's wrath is on them. God's anger is on them. He hates what's going on. If you're here tonight and you're not saved, it's my responsibility to tell you the anger of God abides on you. The wrath of God abides on you. You're lost. And the reason you're lost is not because you've sinned. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The reason you're lost is because you rejected God's only remedy for sin, Jesus Christ. Now very briefly, I want to just say three things about this passage we read in, in Luke. In, in uh, Psalms 9:17, the wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations will forget God. Who are the wicked? Well, the wicked are not necessarily bank robbers and adulterers. The wicked are not necessarily the profane people. The wicked are those who have heard about Jesus, that he died on the cross for our sins. And they glibly gave lip service to that and said, I'll serve Jesus, I'll trust him, and you live like the devil. 
your life never gets changed. You're full of criticism, anger, and, and you're full of gossip and wranging, and, and your life is all messed up. You see, when Jesus comes in, he changes us. Has he changed you? Has there been a change in your life? Now, in this passage in Luke, there are three things to notice. Number one, the reality of hell. Number two, the remembrance of hell. And number three, the plan that God had to keep you out of hell. Now, I want you to notice this. Number one, the reality of hell. There was a certain rich man. He's a real person. He's not just some fairy story. This is not just a parable. Uh, parables usually do not mention individuals. They do not even name their names. This is a real story that God is letting us in on through the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said he, he uh, the rich man, uh, Lazarus was there and Lazarus died and the rich, he was carried with the angels into Abraham's bosom and then the rich man died and in hell he lifted up his eyes being in torments and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. That's one of the terror things of hell. You leave this life, you're bound for hell, hell is real, you're in torment day and night, no escape forever, and you can look over and see heaven. You can see what you missed. And then you have to remember that rich man in hell said, uh, Abraham, won't you send Lazarus just to tip, dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue? I'm tormented in these plains. Would Jesus just tell that story to make us hurt? He told it as reality. The reality of hell. It's awful. It's tragic. Somebody said, is there really burning fire in hell? Well, you can take a fire and you could burn this cup up. You could take a piece of fire and burn this, this little Bible uh, reminder up. You could take fire and burn the church bulletin up. And it would all go on, be gone. You could take fire and burn a house down. You could take fire and burn the church down. And then the fire goes out. Out at the Royal Ranch the other day, some people from Bowling Green had a big party. And they lit fires all over the place out there, and there were about 200 people. Thank God we had some people with bold faith enough to go out there and stop it. But the fire finally went down, and it died. The fire that Jesus is talking about never is quenched. It never fades out. Now, if it is not the kind of fire we know about, let me just say this. Jesus told us in terms that we could understand. Usually the symbol is not quite as severe as the reality. If Jesus said there was fire in hell, who are we to mess around and say, well, it probably isn't fire like we know it. Maybe that's just a symbol something. Well, whatever it's a symbol of, Jesus said it's terrible and it's forever and it's eternal and you're tormented in it. And beloved, if you're not saved, I beg you, 
I plead with you, turn to Jesus. He's the rescue specialist. And he is the only remedy for our sins. The second thing in this passage is remembrance. In hell, this, the Abraham said in heaven's message to, to the rich man in hell was, remember, son, remember, in your lifetime, you attended Glendale Baptist Church. You went to some Billy Graham meeting. You heard all these evangelists on television. You had somebody come to you and give you a track. You had somebody come and try to talk to you about Jesus, and you said, no, not now, some other day. I don't want Christ now. You remember that. And friend, if you leave this place tonight and you're not saved, you may be a church member, but if you're not really saved, in hell you'll remember this service. You remember the quartet singing on the Jericho Road. There's just room for two. That's you and Jesus. You have to have a meeting with him. You don't get to heaven by having a meeting with the church. You get to heaven by having a meeting with Jesus. You'll remember that they sang, if we never meet again, we'll meet on the other side. But you won't be there because you rejected God's only remedy for sin. You'll remember, though. You'll remember every opportunity. You'll you, you remember your dad and mother's rules at home. And you just flouted them. They won't ever know. I'll tell them I'm going somewhere and I'll end up with some guys or some girls over here. They'll never know. Yes, they do. God will tell them at the right time. Be sure your sin will find you out. It's impossible to escape the scrutinizing eye of the Lord. Son, remember. And the last thing the restraints from hell. That rich man in hell said, uh, Father Abraham, if you can't send Lazarus to dip his finger in water and cool my tongue, would you at least send him back to my brothers? I've got five brothers back on earth, and they're lost, and I don't want them to come to this awful place. And the Lord said, they have Moses and the prophets. And the man in hell said, but, but they would believe if somebody rose from the dead. And the answer from heaven was, if they will not believe Moses and the prophets, they will not believe the one rise from the dead. That's an eternal axiom. People don't get saved because of miracles. They may change their lifestyle for a little while. They don't get saved because of that. The, the, the scripture about Moses and the prophets has to do with the Word of God. It says, if you won't listen to the Word, you won't listen to the one rose from the dead. And then Jesus demonstrated that a few weeks or months later. He himself died on an old rugged cross. Three days later, he was raised from the dead. Some believed and some believed not. The book of Acts closes like that. People do not believe because of a miracle. They believe because of the Word of God, the preached Word of God. And beloved, if you will listen to the Word of God tonight and turn from sin, turn from self, turn to Jesus, let Christ be in your heart, He'll save you. He is able to save to the uttermost all who will come to God by Him. Let me plead with you. Don't hide behind the church roll book. 
Don't hide behind some good family you're a member of. My friend, if you're not saved, if you cannot say, I know for certain that Jesus is in my heart, and the reason I know is because he changed my life. Things I used to do, I don't do them anymore. Things I used to think, I don't think them anymore. Things I used to be, I'm not that anymore. There's been a great change since I've been born again. Have you been born again? Or are you still on the road that leads to tragic disaster and hell? Let's close our eyes in prayer. Our Father, we thank you for the Word of God that never changes. We pray tonight that someone who may be lost on the way to hell would have heard the message and they'll turn to Jesus. And then, Father, touch all of our hearts. May we have a burden about those who are lost. And may we be willing to say, Lord, use me. I want to go with Christ after the lost. God, don't let them slip through our fingers. And we have to stand at the judgment of the Lord and see people go down to hell that we fail to witness to. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand, please. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus and to take him at his word. How true that is, how wonderful it is. And friend, if you will trust Jesus tonight, he'll cleanse you, he'll forgive you, he'll save you. And then those of us who are saved, what are we going to do about hell? Husband going to hell, wife going to hell, son or daughter going to hell. Listen, if you've got somebody in your family and their life has not been dynamically changed by the power of God, you better start praying because they're probably lost. God will touch somebody's heart and bring them into a close fellowship with Christ. I appreciate what Chris said a while ago. Nine years and three days ago, he was saved. He came in here on his way to hell. He and Freda both. It was on Saturday night. They gave their hearts to Christ. The next day they were in church. And they've been in church ever since. And they have a vibrant testimony of faith. I've seen some of these guys that have gotten saved in the last three or four years their whole lifestyle changed. If your lifestyle hadn't changed, see, one of the problems you have in growing up in a church, you hear this message all the time and you get deaf to it. You have spiritual hard of hearing. You've heard it and it doesn't make any impact on you. I want to ask you if you went before the judgment bar of God tonight. What would happen? We're going to sing, "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus." I'd like to ask you, if you're not sure you're saved, to come and make sure of that. If you know someone who is lost and you've been praying for them and you want to ask God to use you to reach that person, why don't you come and just kneel and pray? Whatever God leads you to do. What's the number of the song? 250. 250. "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus." Will you come tonight?